We are continuing in our Advent series, looking at, as the front of your bulletin says, the songs of Advent. And we're looking at different songs in Scripture that remind us of what the Advent truly means, of what Scripture's testimony is about the coming of the Son of God. And so <clears throat> today we are looking at a passage that might be familiar. It was the pa- it's the passage that is just before what was read for our Advent reading in Luke 2. Luke chapter 1, we're looking at <clears throat> the story of Zechariah. And before we have uh, a time to read the passage, the verses today that are there in your bulletin, or if you have your Bibles there as well, just a little bit of background before we step into the story, the actual understanding. You see, <clears throat> Zechariah was a priest, uh, and he was of the line of Abijah, and also his wife, Elizabeth, of the descendants of Aaron. And so Zechariah being a priest and going and leading and being participant in the worship in the temple regularly was there in the temple, and as he was there worshiping, an angel of the Lord came to him and spoke to him. You see, an angel didn't just speak to Mary about having conceiving of a son. An angel came and spoke to Zechariah. And as this angel spoke and shared with Zechariah about his wife, who was going to conceive and have a child, of course, that in a sense was also a miracle because both Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren, had been for many, many years, and also were, as it says, advanced in their years. We don't know exactly how, how old, like, like we would with Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, but they were, it says, well advanced in their years. And so not likely would they have children, and yet this angel comes to Zechariah and says, you will have a child. And so amazing revelation to Zechariah there in the temple as he is there worshiping, and his response was very different than Mary's response. His was... Certainly he was afraid, it says, but his response was really one of unbelief. He did not really believe, and he did not really respond with uh, faith at all initially. And so in that, in a sense, response that was not favored by Zechariah, even a priest himself, then all of a sudden the Lord made Zechariah become mute. He took his voice from Zechariah, so Zechariah could not speak. And he did not speak until, of course, after the child was born and when they named the child and they brought the child there to be circumcised on the eighth day. It was at that point that then the Lord released the voice again of Zechariah and gave him his words to speak. As we step into chapter 1, verses 67 to 79, listen as I read God's word. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let's pray. Father, even as 2,000 years ago, your servant Zechariah, who you called to lead your people in worship on a regular basis, who himself had a life calling to worship and to serve you and to lead your people, you gave him a special gift. You gave him a special calling, one of preparation. A calling to not only speak about himself, but to also give him an heir, an offspring who would be the mouthpiece of preparation, preparing the way for the fullness of the good news to arrive, for the Son of the living God to come and to bring salvation to all who are His. We thank You, Father, for that gift to Zechariah that we might understand what it means for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is maybe for some of you who have relatives or maybe you yourself uh, have are an outdoorsman type person and it is kind of full-blown hunting season now in Georgia and all kinds of different types of hunting, but particularly uh, in the uh, vein of game birds and different types of game bird hunting. I had a roommate in college that loved hunting all seasons of hunting, and he just, he would go out, we, we, lit, we were in a small, I was in a small Bible college in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, and the college was set in 600 acres of land, and all, and many of the students had very little money as they were trying to get through school, and many of the students, especially the guys, of course, would, they would go out literally, and they would hunt for food, and they would bring in a killed deer or whatever, and venison, and they would cut it up, and they would put it in the freezers in the kitchen area. You never know what you would open the, the, uh, the, the, the dorm door freezer, what you'd find in there that someone had actually uh, <clears throat> slaughtered uh, the day before. But uh, it was interesting because he would love this particular uh, sport of hunting, and uh, he often would go for deer. But, you know, it's interesting in the, in the season of hunting with game birds, whether it be quail or pheasant or duck, one of the best partners that a hunter can have is a bird dog if you're in that kind of hunting a dog have you ever seen that this kind of a dog that's trained specifically from conception almost from birth a hunting dog that will go and just love to run ahead of the hunting party of the hunter himself and would would go out for many many yards hundreds of yards even and always be on the watch looking and listening for a bird in the brush and whenever that dog would find a bird or something in the brush that he thought was going to be an opportunity for the hunt they stop lift up one paw and just remain absolutely still until his master would come along and see him pointing to what he anticipated was there in the brush and then of course would flutter the, uh, the bird out, and then the hunt would be on. You know, a bird dog like that, a, a faithful companion in the hunt, 
was an amazing, is an amazing thing to truly watch. And if you've ever seen, you know what I'm talking about. But that dog was bred to do that specific task. There was no other purpose, really, for that dog in his life other than to point to what the prize was, to what the treasure was for the hunter. You know, this, this morning, Zechariah speaks himself of the coming of the Redeemer, the Holy One. But he also speaks about the gift of the Son that was also conceived and given as a gift to Zechariah and Elizabeth to be the one to point to the Holy One, the Son of the living God. Zechariah himself speaks about the preparation, but he also speaks about the gift of a son who would then also be a pointer to the Christ, the Messiah. Zechariah sings about this truth in this song. And let's look at what he tells us this morning in our text. First, we're going to consider the basis for how God prepares us. The basis for God preparing us to be his very own. He does it through two means. First, he does it through his covenant. God, the basis for God preparing his people to be his and also providing the very means of redemption through his son is based upon his very word, his promise, his covenant promise that he made. He made to his people. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. Look in verse 69 of this passage. It says, He, as Zechariah speaks, that is, the God of Israel, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The house of his servant David. That's covenantal language. If you're not familiar with that kind of language, the house of David is language that refers to the covenant of God, through Abraham and through the house of David, all the way through, knowing full well what that meant when Zechariah spoke of the house of David. Speaking of God's covenant with His people, verse 72, and to show mercy to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. To remember His holy the oath He swore to our father Abraham. Again, Zechariah is pointing that the basis for this wonderful truth that he is speaking about the preparation for is based upon the covenant God has made. You know, our culture's obsession with Christmas so often each and every year seems to be most often disconnected to what we're speaking of, what Zechariah speaks of, which is the, the amazing historical narrative that goes back all the way to the beginning of Scripture. You see, Christmas really isn't just about toys and presents and special Christmas dinners and the warm heart over a hearth, uh, having a warm fire and Christmas Eve and children waking up on Christmas morning and all those things. It's connected to the bigger story, the narrative of God making a covenant with us. And it carries all the way through and is still continuing even as we worship Him today and will continue on until He returns and He fulfills the final consummation of the covenant of the oath that He made to us, 
His people. You know, we're tempted to look at the New Testament birth, the, the understanding of the Christmas story, just as an isolated event. Oh, yeah, I remember that something happened there in the Bible where Jesus was in a manger and the, and the baby was born to a virgin. But it truly is just a part of the greater narrative of what God has been doing long before the Son of God was born, long before in that covenant setting. You know, the nativity is set in the context of God's covenant to his people. That's what The nativity isn't just set up like we set it up in our living room maybe every December. The nativity is set in a much larger story of God's covenant all the way back. Even you go back to Genesis when God promised what he did to Adam and Eve and how he would fulfill that promise to them even back then. You know, even Matthew himself, the beginning of his gospel, in introducing the account of Jesus' birth, if you were to read that this afternoon, you would see a detailed genealogy in Matthew's account of Christ's birth. Why? Again, so that even as Matthew spoke about the birth of Jesus, there would be a detailed understanding of the historical accuracy and importance that God brought all the way through in his covenant relationship, through all those generations, and that he would display the unbelievable reality historically of God's faithful fulfillment of the truth of the good news to his people. That's what even Matthew would tell us. You see, the emphasis here that Zechariah is singing about the emphasis is on God's covenant with us. It's not upon man's covenant or man's promise or man's commitment. It's upon God's promise, God's commitment to us. And just as Micah Spalding reminded us, it's about how much we make of him, not how much he makes of us. It is truly about God making a promise, a covenant with us and us receiving that as a promise of redemption. You know, when two people make a covenant, like marriage or between a nation and, a, and a, an individual and a citizenship covenant, um, it's often the case that some things will happen during that period of fulfilling the covenant promise where it could be broken. At times, marriage covenants are broken. At times, even citizen covenants are broken with individuals. We make promises and we break them. Uh, we have feet of clay. We are frail and sometimes we give in to temptation. We struggle with being who we are, sinful creatures, and we break promises. But we know that God is not like us. He is not like the creature He created. Even in His image, though we are like Him in image, we are not like God in the sense that He always keeps His promises. Every one of them. Never has God broken a promise to you or to me. Not one. We may not understand, you might not understand why he is, how he is going about fulfilling his promises to you, his care for your life, for your family, for your marriage, for your children. We may not fully understand because we are finite. We cannot see the whole picture right now. But that does not equal God has broken his promise to us. It is not the same thing. God has never broken his promises. 
He is fulfilling them, and he is continuing to fulfill them even now through his covenant to us. God, when he makes a promise, keeps it forever, forever and ever. And his promises are the very essence of his covenant. You see, when God makes that promise, he's making that covenant with his people. Remember his, his promises to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7. He says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. But to be, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. He promised that to Abraham and all the descendants that generation upon generation, all that Matthew spoke about, those 14 plus generations, those are the promises that God has fulfilled, even as Matthew has reminded us, and continues to generation upon generation fulfill those promises. So why should this be a comfort to you and to me? Why should God fulfilling his promise be a comfort? Well, for the next generation after us. For the generations that are following those of us, it's a, it's a comfort to know God is continuing to fulfill it. We, we can't mess it up, mom and dad. You, you can't mess up God's promise of his covenant to fulfill it. Even as much as we might neglect at times our responsibilities in that covenant fulfillment that God gives us as parents or it can't be broken. God will fulfill His covenant, even in our frailties, even in our mistakes, which we all make. It's a comfort to us. God's been preparing His people for Himself since the beginning. Since the very beginning. He continues to prepare us for Himself. Even the prophet Jeremiah spoke about preparing us for the Lord long before we were even born. Jeremiah reminds us that even before you were born, God was preparing you. Jeremiah 1, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah. You see, God continues to prepare His people. He knew you before you were even conceived. Can you imagine that's how much He loves you. That's how much He cares about you. So even if this holiday you feel like no one really cares right now about what I'm going through, God says He does. He cares. He cares about what you are feeling and experiencing in your life right now. Whatever it is that is so difficult, God knew and knows about it. And he's there. He's there fulfilling his promises to you. He is always watching over. He's always caring for us. He continues to prepare us even for our future. Remember Jesus' words to the disciples on the evening of the Passover meal when he was about to be arrested? In John 14, he says to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That's a promise. See, Jesus has already gone before us. He has prepared a place for you and for me. One day there will be another advent, a second advent. He will come back. He will come again. And when that advent happens, it will be like none other has ever happened. And He will take us to be with Him. We will enjoy those rooms that He has prepared. Those special rooms with our name on them. The ones that have been prepared especially for you, for me. That we will be with Him for all eternity in that heavenly home. What a promise we can count on. That Zechariah reminds us the basis for this covenant, this, this preparation is his covenant, but also the basis is God's mercy. He speaks, Zechariah speaks about it. God's mercy is the basis for preparing us to be his own. Look at verse 72. And to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant. Verse 78. And because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. If there was one thing Zechariah knew about God the Father, about Yahweh, as an Israelite priest, he knew God was merciful. He did. He knew personally about God's mercy. Zechariah had to understand God's mercy. He had a wife that was barren. Did he not? For years. To have a, a wife who cannot have children in that culture, in that day, was huge. It was a tremendous trial for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had no greater desire, I'm sure, in their life but to have a child or children. And yet, God was fulfilling His covenant in a way that even Zechariah didn't understand until He gave that gift. Zechariah knew God's mercy and that the preparation of God in his own life was based upon his mercy to Zechariah and Elizabeth. <clears throat> if there's one character trait of God that is seen throughout the entire witness of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that character trait of God is God's mercy. His grace, His mercy his benevolence that's undeserved just poured out on you and me. Over and over again, we see it throughout Scripture of God being a merciful God. <clears throat> and God is always merciful, always. It's been said before, God's wrath is like a stiff safety lock, but His mercy is like a hair trigger. For those that understand gun language, a stiff safety lock, you know, it's very difficult to get undone, but a hair trigger just goes off with barely any effort. God's mercy is like that hair trigger. It just goes all over us. Time and time again, God pulls the trigger of mercy and He aims for His very children. His sons and His daughters, we are the objects right in the crosshairs of God's mercy. Every time he pours 
his mercy out upon us. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning when the sun rises, we get up again. Even if we're frail, even if we have poor health, we arise even if our eyes open. If that's what getting up means for us, even if our eyes open and our ears can hear again and God has mercy again that day. He gives mercy again this day. And tomorrow when we wake up, he will give mercy again for tomorrow. And that's what he does. Every day we need, every hour, every moment when things happen in our life, he says, I'll give you mercy. I'll be kind to you. I will protect you. I will provide. And this will be my promise. And I will fulfill it for everlasting to everlasting. God's mercy is the basis for his preparation of his people. Let me ask you, do you come to worship this very hour? Do you come to worship the living Christ because of his kindness and mercy to you? Do you understand, have you experienced his mercy in your life? Can you recount, can you remember his mercy, his kindness to you? We must recount it. We must remember it. We need to be reminding each other, each other of his mercy. We must remind each other of God's kindnesses. <clears throat> or do we come this morning afraid even possibly to come into God's presence? Not really willing with our heart to truly come into God's presence, to be in a relationship of depth and intimacy with Him because we're afraid that maybe we would make a mistake, that His wrath would be what we would receive, His anger, His disappointment, his displeasure would be what we would receive if we truly gave ourselves to him. Is that maybe how we, you would feel this morning? Rather, knowing his mercy, his loving kindness, and his forgiveness. We've understood what God's basis for, for, for preparing us is about as Zechariah sings these truths. But what about the manner in which God prepares us for himself? What's the manner in which God prepares us? How does he prepare you and me to receive his son, the Lord Jesus? Well, first of all, Zechariah speaks about <clears throat> the light, the light that invades the darkness. What is that about? As he speaks, verse 79, and <clears throat> because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death you see before you knew christ you were in darkness just in case you forgot and just in case you did not realize it before you knew the lord jesus you were in darkness you could not see truth you could not understand and perceive of the mercy and the kindness of god you did not have the ability with spiritual eyes to see and understand what truth the gospel was about for you. You were in darkness. You were in the shadow of death. Not only were you spiritually dead, but you were in the shadow of eternal death forever and ever. You were in that position, but God brought light to you and to me. He brought 
clarity. He's shown the light of his grace and mercy that then helped and gave us understanding. His light has invaded our darkness. I read this morning in our call to worship the Lord, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Again, what does John say? In him, that is Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, the life of Christ was, is and was the life and the light to all men. And that light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You see, not everyone will understand this light. Only those that God removes the scales of eyes to see will understand this light. And it is not everyone. In fact, Jesus spoke about it being a very narrow path of those who will have understanding and receive that light in their darkness. God prepares us for himself by invading our darkness. He comes and he invades us the darkness that we live in. He doesn't just come and knock and ask if we might accept his, in, his coming to us. He breaks the door down. He barges in in our darkness and he brightly shines the light of his grace everywhere in our life. That's how he arrives. That's how he comes to us. That's how we come to him is by Him invading our darkness. We don't have to create enough light that He might show up, that we could see Him, hopefully. He pours light that is blinding, as Saul experienced on the road to Damascus. It's blinding to those who receive it. We cannot even sometimes understand what is in the midst of the brightness of his glory. And yet we know it's him and that he has come and invaded our darkness. He invades your darkness, my darkness, not someone else's darkness, our personal darkness he invades. You see, it's not just he's coming to a world that, yeah, this world really doesn't care much about the Lord anymore. That's one thought. He comes to your own very personal. And in case you didn't realize it, you and I do have hearts that have been darkened. And we still struggle with keeping those dark places away from Him that He desires to shine His light in. I would guess that every single person here this morning has a dark spot somewhere still that they know about. We all keep a little place hidden that we want for ourselves that God wants to shine and is seeking to shine the light in the midst of. Where does darkness truly reside? It resides in us. It resides right here in our hearts. Our hearts are deeply affected by the darkness of sin and depravity. While we might not feel that we live, you might not think you live an overtly sinful, rebellious, evil life, all of us still have the struggle of the darkness of sin, of the remnant that still is there, that we seek to not allow for God's light to completely permeate, and yet He is doing so. 
He is invading our darkness. Scripture's description of our own heart is clear. Our own heart needs that light. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart, it is deceitful. We all have a heart that truly needs the light to invade. Because our hearts are self-seeking and not seeking God himself, we cannot change our hearts by ourselves. God must do this work alone. Only God can do this work. First comes the change of heart by God himself, and then comes our life changes. We obey God's commands. We obey God's word. We follow. We seek to follow his truth because we have received a new heart, not in order to get a new heart. We don't yield ourselves to the Word of God because you want God to give you a new heart one day. You do so only because He's given you the desire through a new heart to follow and to worship and to give yourself to Him daily. Ezekiel 11 reminds us of the new heart. Ezekiel the prophet said, I will, as God shares, uh, speaks through him, I will give them that is his people, an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Notice, first he removes the heart of stone, then puts the heart of flesh, and he says, then they will follow my decrees. First he must change the heart. Once he does that, then we follow all his wonderful directions and commands for our life. And we give ourselves in worship to him. Following God's commands can occur for many reasons. We might follow him for many reasons. Sometimes there are reasons that really should not be. Guilt, fear, duty, pride, reputation. All these are reasons why so many, even those of us who follow and know Christ, will yield ourselves to his commands. But all those are not reasons God desires. You see, those are external and kept for simply compliance to God's word. Instead, internal reliance on the grace of the Holy Spirit and the presence of him in our daily life is how we know the gospel has truly taken up residence in our heart. That's how we know that we have received the, dark, the light in our darkness. But the second way in which the manner that God prepares us is that his forgiveness brings knowledge of salvation. God's forgiveness brings knowledge of our salvation. Verse 77, Zechariah says, as he was speaking about his son, John, to point to this one who is going to be the Lord, the way, he says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. See, Zechariah himself knew something. He knew God's forgiveness as his own life needed God's forgiveness and mercy. He knew that God's for forgiveness in his own life, and he knew that he needed that type of an acceptance the acceptance that only God could provide. In fact, when he did not believe his wife Elizabeth was going to conceive in her elder years, 
he received a response where his voice was taken away because of his, in a sense, disobedient unbelief. He was, he was disobedient even as a priest. He didn't believe God would do what the angel of the Lord said he was going to do. And so God removed his voice for a while to remind Zechariah that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And then he did. And on the eighth day when his son was to be circumcised, and he spoke or wrote, wrote the very name John, which was very not expected for this child, understanding what that was all about in his day. He wrote John, and then immediately his tongue was loosed. And he then sang this amazing song that God is preparing the way for the Messiah. God is bringing salvation to his people. He's bringing forgiveness to all his people. How does God, how does being forgiven grant you knowledge about your salvation? Zechariah says, being forgiven grants knowledge of salvation. How does being forgiven, think about this, how does being forgiven grant you knowledge of your salvation? In what way, specifically? As you experience forgiveness, how does that help you understand your salvation for all eternity? Well, it's really quite simple as the gospel is. Think about this. Until you understand that you are in need of being forgiven, first of all, you must start there. You must understand you truly need to be forgiven by the one who created you. If you don't expect or desire or think you really need it forgiven because you're not that bad of a person, well, that's where we have to start. Understanding you are in desperate need to be forgiven by the one who created you because you have infinitely offended him by your disobedience and by your own self-seeking life. You have eternally and infinitely offended an infinite God. I have as well. And therefore, I must receive his forgiveness. If he doesn't forgive me, it stops right there. If I have no need for it, then there's only one other me there, there's, there's no other means by which I can have a relationship with him. I might think that I could earn his forgiveness. I could do things in my life by which he would accept me and he would allow for me to enter his rest one day. But it's just not the way that it truly is. I could never clean myself up enough. No matter how hard I try, how moral a life I live, how kind I am to others, how good of a life I lived could never provide what God simply must provide himself, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness through his Son. Until we understand we are in need of being forgiven, we cannot really grasp what Jesus has done for us in this gift of salvation. But once we do, it makes complete sense. Once you really understand what you need, and only God can give it, it makes complete sense. And you stop trying with all your might to earn God's love. 
to have him accept you. You just stop because you know you're undone. You can't do anything about it. That's the good news is that he has done everything we cannot do for us. Think about the last time you were forgiven by someone in this life. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was yesterday, last week. Can you remember the last time you were forgiven by someone? When we are forgiven by someone, we're given a gift. When someone forgives you, they give you a gift. Do they not? Yes, they do. What is the gift? It is the gift of the relationship back. You see? When you're at odds with someone and there's no forgiveness, there's no relationship. But when they say, I forgive you, when they accept you and forgive you, the relationship is given back to you as a gift, even though you didn't deserve it. They give it to you freely. That's what God does. The relationship doesn't exist until He gives and grants that forgiveness, that gift of forgiving you because of what Jesus has done. He just doesn't do it for any reason. He does it only because... His Son has accomplished that forgiveness for us. And then He gives the gift to us. That is why John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ the way he did. Remember how John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Zechariah's son, John the Baptist was the one who pointed, prepared the way. Zechariah knew his son was going to be that one from conception whose only purpose was to point to that forgiveness, to point to that sacrifice, to point to the only one that could ever provide forgiveness for his people and for their sins. That's what Zechariah knew. That's what John his son, was all about. John the Baptist knew that the only way to truly point people to the gospel was to point them away from the type of Savior that they wanted to have and to point them towards this type of Savior that he knew they needed and they had to have. See, John the Baptist was not pointing them to a Savior that they were expecting in the way they were expecting it he was pointing them to a completely other understanding of God coming to them. And he, he had to prepare them that way because they weren't prepared. They were prepared in a way that they had uh, created, that they thought would be the way, even the disciples. But John the Baptist gave that clear message. As you come this Christmas as you reflect on what the incarnation means for your heart and for your life, for your journey with the Lord, do you see just a neat story about a baby? A nice little neat story that's been shared through the ages about a baby born in a miraculous way that makes your holiday full of more sentiment and warmth. And you'll appreciate it again this year. Or do you see God preparing both now and in the future a relationship that you can have 
with the Most High God. That you have that type of gift of forgiveness given to you. That great act of redemption, is it what you understand is for you today? If not, would you consider your heart this very moment to count on what God has done for you and that He has prepared what you could not do yourself?